announcer explained breathlessly. The president is flashing the signal. The mighty demonstration is beginning. The multitudes in New York, and in the cities along the New England coast, watched the pale sky with new eagerness. During the long minutes which followed, no plane came into sight, except a few commercial craft, chartered by the major broadcasting chains. The announcers in the pits, circling over the airfields, watched developments during the unexpected delay. Their voices reflected the growing disappointment of the waiting millions. "'The President's signal has been received, ladies and gentlemen, but apparently some confusion has developed. We understood that the United States planes would begin flight at once, but none of them has yet left the field directly below us. We can see the pilots in their pits, but for some reason the takeoff order has not been given. We will continue to circle until this unit launches into the air.' Repeated announcements increased the misgivings of the restless crowds. News came from field after field that the great parade of the air had not yet started. After many anxious minutes, the sky was still empty, except for the incessant circling of the broadcasting ships. The flying announcers fumbled with words in their attempts to cover the delay. Their hesitant excuses only emphasized the shocking fact that the widely heralded maneuvers— a display intended to demonstrate the swift action possible for our new air forces, had faltered at the very outset. On Miller Field, Staten Island, New York, a stern commanding officer stood beside his ship, watch in hand, peering baffled into an empty sky. Major Anthony Masson, in charge of the squadrons assigned to this base, had received detailed instructions outlining his part in the winged cavalcade. His takeoff had been scheduled to the second, to synchronize with the flight of units from other airfields. Now he found his orders completely disrupted. The zero moment had passed. Smart lines of planes were waiting on the field, their bright propellers flashing. Pilots were sitting uneasily in the pits. They were ready to go into action the instant their commander's signal was given, but it did not come. Every aviator's gaze was directed at Major Masson during that unnerving wait, including that of a young man in flying togs who stood quietly near the operations office. Half an hour before, he had circled over the field in a flashing pursuit ship. He had landed at the edge of the tarmac and presented a communication to Major Masson, which was signed by Major General Falk, Chief of Staff. It stated that the bearer was granted special permission to fly with Masson's unit in the air parade, without actually becoming part of it. But it offered no explanation of his mission. It stated further that the communication facilities of the field were to be placed at his disposal if he so requested. Mystified at the extraordinary orders, Major Masson had fired impatient questions at the young man, who answered by displaying a credential enclosed in a thin silver case, which had immediately satisfied the Major. The White House, Washington, to whom it may concern. The identity of the bearer of this letter must be kept strictly confidential. He is... Operator 5 of the United States Intelligence Service. The signature affixed to the letter was that of the President of the United States. The existence of the undercover agent, designated Operator 5, was known to many high-ranking officers of the Army and Navy, but few of them had ever met him face to face. Though he had investigated and solved many dangerous cases of the utmost importance to the United States government, his work demanded the closest secrecy. His exploits were the subject of exciting rumors among federal officials, for it was recognized that he was the ace investigator of a service which functioned almost unknown to the people of the nation it served. In the secret archives of the intelligence, 
He was listed as James Christopher, but he was content that his civilian name remain unknown. His blue eyes grew dark with apprehension as he saw an officer hurry from the operations office toward Major Masson. He was a trim, erect figure in his flying suit. His clean-cut face indicated at a glance that he was American to the core. Because he profoundly appreciated the importance of these air maneuvers, and realized the demoralizing effect the delay must have on the waiting millions, he followed the officer to Major Masson's side. "'Colonel Parsons is on the wire, sir, speaking from Jay Field, Governor's Island. He reminds us that he is to take off immediately we are in the air. He cannot fly until we are underway, sir. He is demanding an explanation, and—' Masson snapped. "'He knows damn well I can't give flight orders until the unit from Mitchell Field is in the air. I'm being kept grounded because they haven't yet appeared.' I can't do anything but wait. What the devil's the matter with them over there? Can't you get them on the line? Operator...